0: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And my name is Patton. I'm the student pastor here at Judson. Uh, Pastor Jeff couldn't be in today. So I get the opportunity and the honor to share the word of God with you today. And as we get started, I have something to admit to you guys, okay? You ready? I love to-do lists. I know that's a little weird, right? I love to make a to-do list and like check things off the list. Anyone else with me on that? Like, like, I mean, I live by them for work. I make to-do lists, like on my computer I have them, grocery lists, love to make a good grocery list, packing list, house project list, chores, like all the things I love to make a good to-do list. Maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm not about the to-do list. Anyone not a to-do list person? Okay, we got some of them. Yeah, and so that means a couple things. Either one, you're more responsible than I am. It could be that. Or two, um, it could be like, you just live a little more free than I do. I don't know, like free of worry of all of those things. It'll get done if it gets done. Maybe you feel that way, I don't know. But for me, I love to-do lists. And if you're in here and you love to-do lists, like you can't help yourself sometimes. Like maybe you're in here and you've like started your note sheets for the sermon and right next to it, you got your grocery list that you're working on. I mean, anyone doing that? Like, I won't. I won't make you raise your hand. But like, you can't help it. Like, you got to make the list, prepare, be ready. Well, today we are going to be in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter two, um, and we're looking at some instructions that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. He gives him somewhat of a list of things to do in ministry. And he puts one thing at the top. So one thing you need to know about Timothy is he was actually on some of Paul's missionary journeys with him. And at this point in time, he was the overseer or the pastor of the Ephesian church. So he was leading that. And Paul, as A coworker in Christ, but also a mentor, wrote him this letter to encourage him, but also to give him some instructions on leading within the church. And it's really, really interesting how Paul starts. What he says is the most important thing. So let's take a look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. It says this, first of all, right? First thing, so top of the list. First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. The top of the list is prayer. It continues on, verse two. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your word that you've given us. I pray that it guides us today. I pray it convicts our hearts and challenges us to make prayer for others a priority, to put that at the top of the list of everything we do. Lord, we know you love and care for everyone because you've created them. Lord, align our hearts with yours today and give us a renewal in our hearts for your mission that you've called us on, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so as we get started in this, the first thing we see is that prayer should be our starting point. Prayer should be our starting point. As Paul gives instruction to Timothy, he starts off in the first chapter of 1 Timothy at uh, kind of giving a greeting. He talks about some, um, some false teaching that the church is dealing with. He shares a little bit about his own testimony. And then the very end of 1 Timothy Paul challenges him to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight. Now, what does that even mean? What's it mean to fight the good fight? It doesn't mean like actually like going and like punching someone, right? Like it's not that. It's actually fighting our own flesh, our own desire to do things apart from God. And the challenge in fighting the good fight is to keep Jesus, the center of everything, to keep him the starting point, to keep him in focus. You see, the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, they were dealing with a lot of distractions at this time, distractions from people teaching things falsely. They were dealing with persecution on every side, from authority, from from all types of people. They were dealing with even dissension within the church. And as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. Keep the gospel the center. Fight for the gospel. Fight for Jesus to be the center of everything you do. Paul is saying, do everything you can to keep Jesus and his mission the center of what you do. Paul actually says these instructions he is giving him will help him fight the good fight. So it says, okay, you need to go and fight the good fight. And now I'm gonna give you instructions on how to do that. How do you keep the gospel the center? How do you keep the mission of God the center point of everything? Well, here's some instructions on how you do it. And the first instruction is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse one. First of all, then I urge you, petition, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for everyone. The first thing we do, to fight the good fight, to keep the gospel the center of our lives, to keep the saving grace of Jesus, the mission that he's given us to go there for and make disciples, to make that the center, we must start with praying for everyone. And Paul emphasizes this. He doesn't just say it. He doesn't just write it flippantly. Like he uses language and words within the passage to emphasize how important this is. He says, first of all, so that's the first emphasis that he has. First of all, make it first. That could be like in order of things to do, but it's really in every part, make prayer the number one. In everything you do, make prayer the number one thing, specifically prayer for Others. So he says, first of all, and then he says, I urge you. So now he's not just saying it's first. He says, I'm also urging you like this is important. This is important. Keep this at the forefront. And then he goes on to describe prayer in four words. He doesn't say just pray. He says offer that petitions, prayers, intercessions, Thanksgiving be made. He's doing that to describe how important it is. He's emphasizing how important it is to start with prayer. prayer should be of utmost importance within the church. You see, the church is on a life-saving mission to share Jesus with as many people as possible so that maybe they could come to know him. That's the mission. That's the center point. And there are thousands of, hundreds of thousands of people in our city that don't know Jesus, let alone billions, yes, billions in this world that don't know Jesus. Many of whom who have never heard of Jesus and the grace and forgiveness that he shows us. I yearn for revival in our city, so what do we do? If you yearn to see people saved, what do we do? Paul says we simply start with prayer. We try and make it complicated, right? We try and plan all the activities, do all the things, make our to-do list of all the stuff that we have to accomplish, and then we'll see people saved. But that's not what Paul says here. He says, start with prayer. That should be first. Pray for everyone. That is your starting point. We see throughout history, even throughout scripture, that revival, that revival, often takes place after a time of intentional prayer. We even see that in Acts chapter one and chapter two, in the early church as it began, the first, what you could call revival, the day at Pentecost where many were saved. It really starts in Acts chapter one, verse 12 to 14, where it says that they were continually in prayer together. Right? They gathered together, continually in prayer together, and then the Lord moved in a mighty way. I looked at some different revivals throughout history, and, and one was interesting, the Great Awakening of 1730 and 1740, where, I mean, the move of God was incredible in our nation, in the United States. And it really began through a group of pastors and churches in the New England area, Where they shifted their mindset in prayer. Rather than praying specifically for like moral reform, they started praying for people to be saved. They started praying for hearts to be changed. Do you want to have influence in the lives of people that don't know Jesus? Do you want to see revival in our city? In our church? in our nation we must make prayer our starting point as we continue on the second thing we see here is that our prayer should be for everyone so we should start for prayer, with prayer and this specific prayer in the church should be for everyone for others paul doesn't tell timothy to make praying for their own needs a priority He doesn't say, first pray for all the needs that need to be met in the church. Now that's okay, we can pray for those things, but he he doesn't say do that first. He says, first off, pray for everyone. This everyone word, it really emphasizes that we're called to pray for all types of people. You see, in the church at this time, in the uh, the early church, they were dealing with... um, really some divide between different ethnicities. Between the Jews and the Gentiles and Sumerians and all of these things, there was a divide there and they were trying to figure out how to do church and life together. And in this, using this word everyone, he's saying everyone matters. No matter who they are, where they come from, what they look like, what ethnicity they are, what they've done or what they are doing in their life, what they have or don't have. None of that matters. It says pray for everyone. You know why? Because God created everyone. Like, do you believe that? Like God created you in his image, but not only that, he created everyone everyone in this world that we come in contact with even those that oppose us and disagree with us he created them in his image as well everyone matters to him and he continues to emphasize this even further as he continues in that in verse 2 it says and pray for kings and all those who are in authority this was a bold statement at this time because those who were in authority, those who were kings and rulers, opposed the church. This was the beginning of the rule of, of Nero, who had, I mean, unleashed relentless persecution against the church. Those in authority, the Jewish leaders, they were trying to seek to put Christians in prison. So, in saying pray for kings and authority, he's saying pray for those that oppose you, even. So, pray for everyone. Yeah, I can get that. But also pray for those who think different, who are against even what we are doing, what we do in the church. Pray for them as well. And he says, this prayer can change things. It can change things. It continues on so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So pray for everyone, pray for kings and authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. Now this is interesting um, because there's a couple ways that you can interpret this part of the passage. You could say, oh great, if we pray for these people, my life's gonna be easier. It's gonna be great all the time. I'm gonna get a raise if I do this, right? Like it's just gonna be great. Everything's gonna be great if I pray don't believe that's necessarily the direction Paul was going as he said this. You see, Paul's focus here was on the mission of God, on seeing people saved. So in terms of talking in regards to the church, about the church, he's saying if we pray for the authority and leaders maybe, just maybe, it will open doors for the gospel. Maybe it will make it easier for us to share Jesus with the world. You see the difference there? Not about us, about the mission of God. You know, we're really, really good at complaining about the darkness in the world, right? Like that's pretty easy. There's plenty to complain about. Like there's a lot of people that don't follow Jesus and do things that are not good, right? There's plenty of darkness and we could complain about it all day long. But the sad thing is we're not quite as great at bringing the light of Jesus into the world. Do you realize that complaining about how bad things are in the world, even complaining about things within the church that you don't like or disagree or disagree with or whatever it may be, that doesn't bring the light of Jesus into the world. He doesn't call us to be problem makers. He calls us to be problem solvers. And if we wanna solve problems in the world, we need to see people saved. That's the bottom line. If you want to see change in this world, then pray that people would come to know Jesus. We're really good at praying for moral reform, praying for the change that we want to see in this world. But if we want moral reform, if we want to see that change, people that don't know Jesus need to come to know Jesus and their hearts need to be changed. This means we should be praying more for people to come to know Jesus and less about the issues. Because if people come to know Jesus, the issues will start to resolve themselves. People come first. As we continue on, we discover this. Our prayers... So as we make make prayer a priority, put it first, as we pray for everyone, because God created everyone and desires everyone to be saved, it starts to align our heart with God's desire. In verse 3 and 4, we see specifically God's desire in this. He says, this is good. It pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone, there's that word again, we already saw it up above, the everyone word, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. God's desire is for people to be saved, for people to come to know him. Is that your desire? Is that your desire the god that loves everyone and wants everyone he wants he loves everyone and wants everyone to be saved no matter who they are or what they do, have done or what you think about them and realize this today in this room god loves you and cares about you and has died on the cross for you no matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come from no matter what he cares about you and he wants you to be saved Man, that is the love of God on display right there. That is amazing. You see, Paul knew this better than anyone as he writes this. Paul once was a persecutor of Christians. His goal was to put Christians in jail. We read that in Acts. We see that he would travel places and go and try and find Christians and bring them back and put them in jail. We see that he was kind of a supervisor at the um, When Stephen, the first Christian martyr died, he kind of supervised over that. All the people laid their cloaks at his feet after that happened. Like Paul was not a good guy and he opposed the church with every part of his being. But then Jesus came into his life and changed him. Paul was once a sinner, now saved and a follower of Jesus. And if you are in this room and have a relationship with Jesus, this is the same undeserving grace that you have received. This is what Paul was saying we should fight for. We should fight for the gospel that brings salvation. So God's desire is for everyone to be saved. Is that your desire? Like truly, is that your desire? Do you desire for everyone to be saved. What happens all too often is we get sidetracked with so many secondary issues, we forget to put the mission of God first. We can do this in the church so often, we can worry about all of the little things, the church schedule, the worship style, traditions we have. In the mission of God, we just set to the side. Like, oh, that can come later if it comes. Prayer for people should be first because when we pray for people, it aligns our hearts with God's desire and we start to see people differently. Oswald Chambers says it this way, to say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying, prayer changes me and then I change things. God has established things so that prayer on the basis of redemption changes the way a person looks at things. So it aligns our hearts. When we pray for people, when we pray in a way that realizes everyone matters, it changes our hearts and changes our desire and changes what we do man, that is the power of prayer. When is it the last time you prayed for your neighbor that they would come to know Jesus? When was the last time you prayed for specific elected officials to come to know Jesus? And maybe not like facetiously where you're like, oh, I hope they find Jesus. You know, not like that. That doesn't count, right? That doesn't count. No, out of compassion, out of, Oh, I really hope they find Jesus. They need Jesus. They need His love. They need His grace. They need His forgiveness out of compassion for a changed heart, for someone to be saved, for something the angels rejoice over. Man, when we pray for them, it aligns our hearts with God's desire to see. Them saved. Another way it aligns our hearts with God is is it humbles us. It's saying, Lord, I need you. For people to be saved, I need you. Lord, I need your spirit in my life. I need your power in my life. I need your words in my life. For people to be saved, I need you to move. Martin Lloyd Jones warned this. He said, Pray for revival. Yes, and go on. But do not try to create it. Do not attempt to produce it. It is only given by Christ himself. The last church to be visited by a revival is the church trying to make it. You know, at the beginning of this message, I talked about the to-do list. We all love, well, at least I love to-do lists. And so where does prayer fall on your list? You know, we do a lot of great things at Judson, right? We have a lot of programs, we have events, we have services, different activities for all ages. And those things are all fantastic. And maybe our tendency, or I could say my personal tendency is to make all of the plans and then fit prayer in when I can. I do pray and ask God to work and to move, you know. But I also like to work on all the plans, all the little details. So like, okay, we have VBS or we have camp or Jewel's Luncheon or a life group or choir, or fill in the blank, whatever it is. We have all of these activities coming up. When we make our to-do list, it usually starts with, Okay, we need to recruit volunteers. We need to order food, make sure we have enough goldfish in the classes. We need to practice the program. You know, we think about all of the little details and that's important. We need to do that, but that doesn't need to come first. Praying for people that are going to come is more important. Praying that lost people, the people that don't know Jesus would come, that is more important than any of the other things if we don't prioritize prayer for people, what are we really doing? Are we having events and activities and programs and services just to have them? What if we change the way we planned and the way we prepared for church? What if we, and by we, I mean me and you, every person in this room that's a follower of Jesus, what if we, made praying for people that don't know Jesus a priority. Do you think the Lord can change hearts? Do you think the Lord can align our hearts with his? Do you think the Lord could bring revival? I mean, that's a real question. Do you believe that the Lord could bring revival in our church so that people could come to know him Like we've never seen, do you think the Holy Spirit could come on us and move in our lives in a special way so that people would be saved? And it starts with putting prayer for others first. And so here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna follow Paul's instructions in this passage and we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray for people that they come to know Jesus. And here's how this is gonna work. We're about to go into a time of prayer and it's gonna be a guided prayer. I'm gonna have a a few prompts that I'll give you as we go into this prayer time. The altars are going to be open at the front and I would love for you, if you feel comfortable doing so, to come to the front and get into a posture of prayer. You can also... Sit at your seat, kneel at your seat, whatever it may be, but, but get your heart and your body aligned and ready to go into a time of praying for people that don't know Jesus. So I ask you this, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to come to the front, then come to the front right now. You are welcome to join um, some others up here to pray for those. We'll start in just a minute as a few come to the front to pray. Thank you guys. All right. As we start this prayer time, we're going to start with a prayer of confession. So go before the Lord in humility. Say And maybe you need to admit that you've fallen short in this area of praying for others. Ask for forgiveness in that. Lord, admit admit to the Lord that you need him to align your heart with his. Take a moment to do that as we start. I come before you right now and admit that I fall short in this area all too often, Lord. Lord, we need you. We know that we can't conjure up revival and salvation, that we need your power and we need your spirit on us, Lord. I'm sorry we forget that all too often. Help us make that a priority in our lives. As we continue on, we're gonna do a prayer of thanksgiving for all people. In this passage, it says, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So take a moment and thank God for everyone, for every ethnicity, for all people, even those who might oppose us. Thank the Lord that he, has created them. Lord, we thank you that you created everyone in your image. Lord, we thank you for the gifts and abilities that you have given so many people. We thank you, Lord, for the different languages that we have in this world. We thank you for the different colors of skin that you've given. Lord, the beauty of your creation is incredible. We thank you for that, Lord, And even in this time, we thank you for those that oppose you. Those that are against you, we know you created them as well and love them and desire for them to be saved. So we thank you for their lives, Lord. Help us not take their lives for granted. Help us show them your love and grace. As we continue, I want you to take a moment and pray for your neighbors. So maybe your neighbor's right next door to you on either side, an apartment, whatever it may be, or also maybe a coworker that you work with that works in an office or cubicle or or works next to you. Pray uh, for them. I know you're thinking of some people in your mind. Pray for them and pray that they would come to know Jesus. thank you that you have placed our church and all the people in our church where we are We believe that you've placed all of us in the location we are and the place we live for just a time as this and we ask that you give us influence over those we come in contact with our neighbors people we work with you help us to be a light for them Lord, and we pray that you change their hearts. We thank you for them. Lord, we intercede for them. We ask that you intercede on behalf of them as well and bring your spirit into our life so that they could be saved and come to know you and find their eternity with you, Lord. Next, we're gonna pray for Elected officials, as this passage says, uh, pray for kings and all those who are in authority. So take a moment and pray for elected officials, mayor, president, senators, councilmen, even like principals and things like that, officials that work in authority positions. And maybe you are thinking of some of those people by name. Take a moment and pray for them. we pray for officials in our country. Lord, there's such a great divide politically and in so many ways in our country. And we just pray that you draw them to you. These are officials who are confused about their faith, don't understand it totally. Totally have a surface faith and not a real relationship with you. We pray you draw them to you, change their hearts. We pray for those adamantly opposed to Christianity and the things that we hold to, Lord, that you start to draw their hearts to you. Lord, in doing so, we know as you draw them to you, as you bring salvation to them, that you'll open doors for the gospel. You'll open doors. You'll make it easier for us to share Jesus, Lord. We want that. We desire that. Finally, as we finish up this prayer time, ask you to pray for the next generation, those birth to 18. Today is actually a day of called prayer in the Southern Baptist Convention for that specific age range. And so we wanna join other churches in praying for them and ask God to bring revival. We know that throughout history, a lot of times revival takes place through teenagers. And so we wanna pray that revival comes in the hearts of our young people and that they lead out. They're not just the next generation, they're the current generation and they have the opportunity to lead. So pray for them. Pray that the Lord, the spirit would move in their hearts. We pray that you move in our teenagers, in our children, even our preschoolers. Lord, I pray for the students we have in this room right now. Lord, that you would draw them to you. in Life group and midweek and Bible studies they're doing on their own and camp and that you would just start to work in their hearts. Give them a renewed passion, Lord. Show them your power. Show them your spirit. Lord, let it burn in their hearts so that a move of God, a move of your power can take place. We pray for that in our country as well, not just in our church, Lord. Teenagers are dealing with difficult so many difficult things and we just ask that you draw them to your salvation and let that be their guide in their lives so that you would be glorified so that others would come to know you. Lord, in your name we pray, amen.